Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. Today, we're talking with Jack Singleton from the Clove Valley Eagles. Founded in 1962, the Eagles are celebrating 60 years of being a great local rugby union club. This episode, we learn about this great community club and the game they play in heaven. You're listening to Coogee Voice. Yeah, look, there is risk. Um, There's risk crossing the road. And just like with crossing the road, if your road crossing technique is good, there's very, very low risk. Look both ways, stop. In fact, it's easier to get my sons to have proper tackling technique, I think, than um, road crossing technique. But having that laser-like focus on on technique, working with, um, say, in in the tackle scenario, working on the technique on the tackle bag, making sure that when we move into full body-on-body contact that that same technique is followed, it does significantly reduce the chance of injury. But if you can start them at the under sixes in, in rugby union, under sixes, under sevens, uh, it's, it's not tackle, um, the two-handed touch system. Welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? I'm very well, Marjorie. Thank you for having me on the show, podcast. Thank you for having me in the room. (laughs) Thanks for being here and for making it out during this quite torrential weather. Now, before we start unpacking the Clovelly Eagles, it's a big year for you guys celebrating 60 years. There's a lot going on rugby around the world, the Rugby World Cup. Women's Rugby World Cup is happening this year. The Rugby World Cup is happening next year in France. It's a great time to be involved in the sport they play in heaven. Tell us a little bit, though, about your connection to the eastern suburbs. Yeah, well, born and bred in the eastern suburbs, lived in Paddington, went to Glenmore Road Public School in primary school, and then went to Sydney Boys High for high school. Then moved away, did a few other things, and then when my first son was born, I was living at Bronte. And both my sons are at Bronte Public School and both play for the Clovelly Eagles. What do you love most about the eastern suburbs? Oh, look, I'm a beach person. I mean, it's funny when a lot of people will use the term eastern suburbs maybe not affectionately. I think of the eastern suburbs as, as the beaches. Um, you know, gr- grew up here when I was a kid. The Deepwater Ocean Outfalls had not been built. And, you know, from Ben Buckler down to Maroubra, the water wasn't clean. But I think that that was completed in the early 90s. And I look at the quality of the water and the beaches, although they've taken a pounding the past month or so, and just think how how lucky we are to have this. And if there was anything you could change, what would it be? Oh, you know, I'm not one for – I don't really like trying to find a parking spot, so I'd say uh, less people. Let's not talk about the eastern suburbs too much, Marjorie. More people might come down. No, look, it's it's very very crowded as popular places are, but – you know, I'm not into trying to change things too much. I think God's given this beautiful uh, bit of coastline to the world and we just look after it. Here, here. Now, this year the Clovelly Eagles are celebrating 60 years. Tell us a little bit about this great local club. Yeah, well, look, founded in uh, 1962, 60 years ago. Bill Marchant was uh, was one of the founders and it was, I think the original jersey was a black and white jersey, but we've been playing in the blue and white for 59 of our 60 years. But there was a need for a junior, a local junior rugby club. And as evidence today, the fact we've got 317 juniors, and when I say juniors, we only 
play from under sixes to under twelves, the under thirteens and up, um, the four local clubs, Cloverley, Coogee, South Coogee, Maroubra, they fold into Randwick and play for Randwick Warriors. So it's it's under sixes to under twelves and we've got three hundred players there. And thanks to the founders of that club, of the Cloverly Eagles, to Bill Marchant, that we have this wonderful club. And I mean club in the sort of figurative sense. Our clubhouse is actually a shipping container at the back of an old toilet block. But the, the culture within that club, our de facto clubhouse, is the Clovelly Hotel, a sponsor of ours, have been for many years. But the you know people use words like culture, and I think it becomes a bit cliched. But when you get down to burrows, as, as you've been many times, and a, you know a cold, wet, windy winter's night on the cliff top, you know the southerly breezes howling in. It's dark, although it's it's lit. But it's you know we finish training in the under twelves at seven thirty p.m. So you head towards that winter solstice in uh, you know twenty first, twenty second of June. It's it, it's cold and it's windy, but every kid you know. Boys, girls, they've all got smiles on their faces. They they love it. Toughens them up. You've just led me to my next question. Of the 300 players, do you have many girls playing? Not enough. Uh, we've got about six in the entire club. Some of my, my under-9s team, we've got a very talented girl by the name of Alice. We had in last year's under-12s probably one of their best players, a girl by the name of Kelly. And there's a, a girl by the name of Chloe in our, I think she's in the 10s or 11s, but the girls we do have are incredibly good. We just don't have enough of them. So how do we get more girls playing? We need to get more girls to get their mates along. I mean, the same way we get more boys. I mean, my, when my son started in the under sixes, my eldest, he had two friends from Bronte Public who were playing. And now in the under 12s, I think in his team, eight of the boys are from Bronte Public. It's just about getting a mate or getting one player to get a mate and then two mates and three mates. And then once you've got that critical mass, I said to Bill, I mean, I said, steady on on the recruitment from Bronte. We've got enough players, but I know that if there was that group of seven or eight, they could easily grow that to 16. So it's getting one absolute enthusiast and then getting them to spread the word with their mates and then their mates' mates. Getting a critical mass is one thing. And I guess to disclose, I'm coming from this perspective of someone who has played rugby, getting more girls to play, getting that critical mass. At the age of 12, though, there's no competition for them. So what needs to happen from a New South Wales rugby perspective? So we get the girls there. Once they hit 12, they can't be playing with the boys anymore. Do we need a broader competition for teenage girls in New South Wales? That's a big question. Look, I think it's what comes first. And I know within our club at the committee level, there's the talk is how do we get more girls? And Alice's mum is on the committee. And I know that if we grew the number of girls, that's it, at the under nine level, if we grew the number of girls, season started now, but for the under 10s and 11s, if it got to the stage and there was that, I guess, again, that word critical mass of girls there who were going from the 12s to 13s, if there was the demand there, I think it would happen. I think trying to recruit girls when they're 13 is, I'm going to say it's too late, but if you can start them at the under sixes in, in rugby union, under sixes, under sevens, uh, it's, it's not tackle, um, a two-handed touch system. If you can get them at the sixes and sevens and then the parents realise how much the girls are enjoying it and how good the girls can be, um, as I said, you know, those three girls I mentioned, Alice, Chloe, Kelly, um, are good by any standard. They're very good. 
then they'll go through to they'll start tackling in the eights and nines and hopefully pl- keep playing through. But it's um, it's recruitment, and recruitment sounds very formal, but it's about getting the girls to get more of their mates playing and enjoying it and loving it. So if we get more girls, we'll keep more girls. We get yeah. more girls, you'll keep more girls. <laughs> yeah, the, the best time to plant a tree is 100 years ago, and the second best times today, it's sort of like you start getting more girls, and it's friends getting friends. Controversial question, sevens or fifteens? Fifteens. I was a forward, so I couldn't play sevens. I wasn't fast <laughs> enough. Neither of my sons. I, I think the thing I love about fifteens, and we're we're doing a big recruitment drive next year with a lot of the schools south of Clove Valley where league's dominant. There's a lot of talk. You know, I guess there's you know diversity, inc- inclusivity. Rugby demands diversity. I mean, if you're a really really tall bloke, yeah, we need you. You're a, a lock or a number eight. If you're a, a stockier player, we'll need you in, in, as a prop or a hooker. I think 15s, when you look at a rugby 15, even at, at the, I guess, you know, sixes, sevens, it's not tackle, but I look at my son in the under nines and there are already a group of players that we refer to as the tall timber. It's sort of like, you know, they're the, they're the locks and the number eights. I just love that the 15s, it demands diversity. You can't play it without diversity. You've just answered sort of my next question, which was why rugby? Um, and for me, the diversity is one of the things. If you're a short round person, we've got a spot for you. If you're a tall beam pole, there's a spot. If you're a giant, come play with us. And there's very few other sports where that range of body types is accepted with open arms. Not just accepted, it's it's demanded. <laughs> it has to be there. I've got a, a good mate of mine um, – his sons are both – they're both tall and one of them wants to play halfback and he's playing halfback and I was having a chat with him on the sideline last night. I said, you know about genetics. Like, you're going to end up very tall. You're the tallest guy in your team. Yeah, And he's oh yeah, Jack, I could still play halfback. I said, yeah, you could and you do and you're very good at it. But, um, but we can't coach this. <laughs> <laughs> Let, let's uh, – I'd, I'd love to see you jumping number two in the line out because you've you, you got to win that contest for the ball. Jack. There's been though, a fair bit of discussion in recent years around concussions, head knocks, and around you know the dangers associated with high impact collision sports. And parents are increasingly reluctant to get their children involved in sports like rugby union. What do you say to that? Yeah, look, there is risk. Um, there's risk crossing the road and just like with crossing the road, if your road crossing technique is good, there's very, very low risk. Look both ways, stop. In fact, it's easier to get my sons to have proper tackling technique, I think, than um, road crossing technique. But having that laser-like focus on on technique, working with, um, say, in the, in the tackle scenario, working on the technique on the tackle bag, making sure that when we move into full body-on-body contact that that same technique is followed it does significantly reduce the chance of injury. And then I look on the, if you look at the straight numbers side, I think, you know, of the club registration, $200. And I say to parents who are reluctant or question the the dangers, I say of that $200, how much of, of that do you think is insurance? And I say, look, Rugby Australia have an insurance company. They insure everyone and includes every, every injury plus physio, plus everything. You're completely covered. And most of them guess that the insurance of that two hundred dollars might be, you know, fifty, sixty, seventy, or even over a hundred. Current playing year, I think it's fourteen dollars fifty. So 
actuaries who work in insurance companies, they don't give a low premium because they're nice people. They give a low premium because that reflects the actual risk and the cost. So played well with good technique. The incidence of injury is very low. I think the most common injury in junior rugby is an ankle injury. Knees and grazes are up there. But um, as far as head injuries, look, they do happen because it is a collision sport. But if the if the coaching staff get the technique right, that is you know significantly reduced. In my my eldest son's in under twelves, and I don't think we have ever had. And I, I don't mess around. If something even looks like a head knock, I'll get the the play to the sideline. We've never had a head injury in. This will be my son's seventh year of rugby. My youngest in the under nines, no head injuries at all. And I make a point of going to the medic at every game we play. We use a great medic in Randwick District called, his name's Paris. And all last night we had rep trials. At the end of it, I said, Paris, how was your night? Very quiet. Any injuries? He had an ankle and a knee. The well-being of my sons and my players is of highest priority. And it is a risk, but it's um, it's not insignificant, but it's very low risk. Jack, what goes into running a club like the Eagles? There's that term grassroots sport or grassroots rugby. I became a coach in the under sixes and I thought I was putting in a bit of effort. They invited me onto the committee after three years to see the man hours that goes into organising, put it this way, the coaching and the management of an individual team, that's you know a couple of hours a week. You look at our committee, in particular our president, Luke Mann, he would you know, we've got a WhatsApp chat group for the committee. We've got another WhatsApp chat group about the 60 years. We've got another WhatsApp chat group about club registrations. We've got an, we've got an email chain about jerseys, playing jerseys, retro jerseys. There's another WhatsApp chat group about socks. Our president, I've said his name, Luke Mann, I hope his employer is not listening because he, he would, without exaggeration, I would think two hours a day would be spent on this. Everyone else on the committee would be at least half an hour to an hour a day. Like we're talking thousands of hours over a year. Obviously, club sport, community sport, no pay at all. It is done for the love of it. And I think the love of it goes a lot beyond the love of the game. It's also about the relationship you have. As Luke said to me on the way here, he said his his eldest son is 15. He's been coaching his son and his son's mates for um, 10 years. He said, I've, Jack, I've got 15-year-old boys coming up to me who I've been coaching for some of them up to 10 years, some less. But he said, they treat me as, as a coach and a friend, a confidant, and to have that relationship with these you know, growing young men and women to come to you and talk about issues they might have, which is something he hadn't thought of when he began coaching, but now it's a lot more than just being a rugby coach. It's not, I'm not going to say he's a life coach, but you have these great relationships with young young men and, and young women and you can help them and you can help their, you know, as, as Luke said, he has better conversations with some of his players who aren't his son than he does with his own son. And then he'll go to his son's other coach and he might find his, you know, his son spoken to the other coach about things. But there's more community in community sport than there is sport in community sport. It's about that community and, and those relationships. The community side of it, our clubhouse is a, uh, and this isn't a pitch for um, a grant to improve our clubhouse, but our clubhouse is a 40-foot shipping container that exists behind a uh, somewhat dilapidated toilet block 
But our, our, our clubhouse is, is the Clovelly Hotel. We're getting a trophy cabinet installed there to display our perpetual silverware. Clovelly Hotel, well, I've, been, I've only been involved in the club for seven years, but they've been a, a sponsor for a lot longer than that. And it's a true relationship. It's not like they just write us a check. Yeah, they do write us a check or multiple checks, but Monday, we go there after training for those who train on Monday. Wednesday, a large chunk of us go there for dinner on a Wednesday night, our 60th anniversary we had there. They provide free kids' meal vouchers for every team multiplied by the number of rounds. So every player of the round gets a little trophy plus a voucher for a kid's meal at the Clovelly Hotel. It's a, you know, we get a lot out of it. They get a lot out of it. It's a great sponsor club relationship. We do have other sponsors as well. Alexander Phillips at PPD Real Estate. We've got Heartland Motors, Bendigo Community Bank at Clovelly. And a lot of them, Wonder White Bread sponsored us for many years. So we always had good bread at the barbecues. But a lot of parents say to me, Jackie, you're a shareholder in the Clovelly Hotel. And and I'm not. I will disclose that. But uh, that is a great example of a long-term relationship that works both ways. So, um, Big shout out to Megs. Megs (laughs) Megs and the team at the Clovelly Hotel. I've got Megs on speed dial. And I think every time Megs sees me calling, she just... She wishes I'd go away, but um, yeah, it's, it's a great relationship. We, we love the pub and they love us. It is a great club. You've sort of touched on a little bit around Burroughs Park and the facilities. In an ideal world, what would you like to see happen to Burroughs? Oh, in an ideal world, I wouldn't want it to change too much. I mean, it was recently voted most beautiful uh, rugby field in the world. We've forged this, this podcast go for about three hours, but there, there'd always been a myth that um, the rugby pitch at Burroughs is a little bit short and a little bit narrow. I know, Marjorie, you'd, you'd said having played there, you could you could confirm that was fact. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to Bunnings. I'm going to get one of those roller wheels on a stick and I'm going to measure it myself. And while I was measuring it, I saw a bloke from the council. I thought he was looking for something. He dropped his keys or... I said, mate, are you looking for something? He said, no, no, mate, I'm head, I'm head of sporting grounds. I'm just looking at these weeds. And I said, well, there's a rumour that the pitch is a bit wide and a bit short. He goes, yeah, yeah, here's the official diagram. Here's how we mark it up. And I said, is there truth to the story that money won't be spent on it because it's not long enough or wide enough? And he goes, no, no, absolutely not. And then I told him how many kids we had playing, 317. The Crocs have got a few more than that. And the head of sporting grounds, he was not aware just how – loved these fields were. And when I gave him the numbers of junior players, he said, well, that may explain um, the state the field is in by the end of the the rugby union and rugby league season. So Randwick Council have invested a lot of time and effort in boroughs. And if you want to pop down there now, it's looking the best it's looked in many, many years. So look, geographically in the field being a bit short and a bit narrow, it doesn't worry us as a rugby club because there is a, a rule within rugby about width and length, but there's another rule that says as long as you let the opposition know that it's a bit short and a bit bit short, bit narrow, or combination of that, and you shake hands and go, yeah, but we'll play anyway, that's okay. That's good enough for us. The change room facilities, a little bit of an upgrade needed. I think knockdown rebuild, as they call it in the industry. 
I did manage to get myself a key. I thought, oh, how come the Crocs have a key and we don't? Crocs are the league team. I opened up the change rooms. I looked inside. I thought, no, the, the ship, the shipping container is a much better facility than the uh, than what we've currently got down at Burrows. But um, it's a community club ground. There are many stakeholders. There are many people who use it, and I think um, I certainly wouldn't want to have a grand plan for it that involved. You know, there's a lot of debate about synthetic turf, and I look at Burrows and think, no, look, it is what it is. It's a, a beautifully geographic located rugby field. It deserves to be looked after and it probably does deserve better facilities there. Jack, you're sitting here with an old school Waratahs jersey on. Shoot Shield season's now kicked off. Shoot Shield is going from strength to strength. Thousands of people turn up on a Saturday to watch Wicks or Beast. There's a divide in the eastern suburbs. Tars struggle to get players there. Why do you think... Shoot Shield is going from strength to strength, but the Tars are struggling to get members. Look, I think it goes back to the the community thing. Once you're involved in club rugby, I mean, I, I look at the Colts and I look at Randwick first and I, there are players in there who, who I know and I know their parents and I know they, they played for the Clovelly Eagles and you feel that bond. There's also the accessibility of the games. I think the Waratahs this year, it's easy easier. I mean, the, the first half of the season, the Waratahs games are in Australia. Leichhardt Oval, went to a couple there, went to one at the SCG a couple of weeks ago. Previously, having the the super rugby comp involving games that are in South Africa. Now, as much as I love rugby, I'm not going to watch a game that's on at 3 or 4 a.m., a super rugby game. A test match, yes, I will. My sons, who are 9 and 11, love coming to the SCG. I've got a game coming up at Leichhardt Oval I'm going to take them to. They might watch games on TV at 7.45, which is when most of the Waratahs games have been on this season, but they're not going to watch games at 1, 2, 3 a.m., 11 p.m., 5 a.m., or even getting to watch games that are on in New Zealand that might be on at 2 or 3 in the afternoon. They've got their own sport on on the weekend. So I think that the following for the Shoot Shield is based on community, accessibility, i.e. you can actually get to the games and watch them, and they're on at family-friendly times, and you know, the, the, the tickets aren't overpriced either. So lights on Coogee Oval, getting the Tars to play there on a Friday night or Saturday night, thoughts? You would love it. I don't know what the max – I think I think lights definitely. I mean, um, within our area, there aren't many grounds with lights. There's lights – there are lights at Burroughs. There are lights at Latham. Latham also has a, one synthetic pitch. There are lights at Nagel. Lights at Coogee Oval I think would be awesome. Uh, I think playing – to have – have the lights so the games could be played later. I don't know what the maximum crowd capacity is at Coogee Oval. 10,000? What? You, you'd, get, you'd get them there. You'd, as you'd, many as they can jam in. <laughs> I mean, the Rand, Randwick Pumas game a couple of years ago, That I mean, that was enormous. I mean, I look at the, the fact that Wallabies game has just been announced, uh, Wallabies versus England's on at the SCG, I think on the 16th of July. And having just gone to a Waratahs game at the SCG, it's not a great ground to watch rugby. But, like, you know, if they had that at Leichhardt Oval, you would pack it or have it at, I think the stadium at Bankwest at, Bank at Parramatta has just had a name change, but it's a bad decision to play that Wallabies game at the SCG. It's a bad game for watching league. It's a bad game for watching Union. They'd be better off playing it at Coogee Oval. 
It would be chock-a-block as opposed to having overpriced tickets at a ground that's not particularly good for watching watching rugby union. But getting back to the question, lights at Coogee Oval, games on on a Friday night or a Saturday night, I think that would be awesome. Churchill, Randwick local derby, Randwick playing anyone. Now, the Women's Rugby World Cup is happening this year. The Men's World Cup is next year. Predictions? After the under-12 rep trials last night at Latham, the women's Waratahs team was 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 training. Our boys, our players, and and girls in the under twelves, they were just spellbound. Like the athleticism of these these women, their technique, unbelievable. Like my my son was like, Dad, who 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 is that? I said, it's a it's a women's Waratahs, and the boys were just spellbound. I think you know you ne- never underestimate the Kiwis. Um, but we, yeah, women's um world rugby world cup. I'd put money. I'd put big money on Australia, men's rugby World Cup. Let's see how Australia goes against uh, against England. Let's see how the Super, the Pacific Rugby Tournament pans out when we start playing some New Zealand teams. I, I don't know. I don't know. Look, Australia's got the ability to surprise. Wallabies have got the ability to surprise, but they've also got a the ability to to disappoint. But I think, yeah, I think seeing seeing how the Super Rugby teams go against the Kiwis and the Wallabies go against the Pommies in those tests in July. Let's have another chat in August. Jack, you've spoken about those ankle injuries. Who keeps your players fit and makes sure that they're mended? We've got a great physio, Stuart from Total Physio in Clovelly. My son probably goes to see him at least least a couple of times a month. And Stuart's son plays in the under sevens. And his philosophy is like get 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 you know, a stitch in time saves nine. Get those small niggles sorted out. And, you know, being a rugby player himself with his son playing rugby, he understands that delicate balance of get the injury repaired, but at the same time, get your player back on or the player's desire to get back on the rugby field as soon as possible. So um, another great sponsor, you know, he's great for the club because he sponsors us, um, but he's also great for the club because we send players there, they get things looked at and we get the players back on the field as quickly as we can. But um yeah, total physio at Clovelly. Now, Jack, are there any players that have come through the Eagles that we should be looking out for? There have been many uh, Randwick first grade players, Waratahs and Wallabies over the years, um, had their junior career with the Eagles. But right now, the Waratahs, uh, we've got Will Harrison and um, his teammate and schoolmate, Ben Donaldson. Ben Donaldson has an injury at the moment, but he's, he's been named... Uh, he's joined the Wallaby training camp. So, yeah, Will Harrison, Ben Donaldson. When my son first was playing the under-sixes, Will and Ben came down and spoke to the players as whether they were New South Wales schoolboys, Australian schoolboys, these, you know, 16, 17-year-old kids five or six years ago. And my son, both sons feel like, oh, yeah, they're, they're our friends. They're Clovelly Eagles. And now we see them with the Waratah jersey and hopefully Ben Donaldson with the Wallaby jersey. And it makes the kids, all of them, feel very connected to the Waratahs and the Wallabies through these, um, through these mates, through these these wonderful young men who've played their juniors with the Eagles and are now soaring high in you know Super Rugby and hopefully international rugby. And who else has come through the Eagles? Uh, it's Morgan Tiranui. So Morgan played juniors with the Eagles and he'd been overseas for many years. Obviously, he played for the Wallabies for many years and now he's back coaching Randwick Firsts. His son plays in the under-12s at Clovelly Eagles at the moment. 
We've got uh, – I, I always I know it wasn't Mark Ella. Mark was at our 60th, but his brother, either Glenn or Gary, and I asked Mark on the 60th, mate, who was it, Glenn or Gary, who played for the Eagles? But one of them played for the um, for the Cloverley Eagles. But there's probably five or six have gone on to play for Waratah and then, and then Wallaby level rugby. So this small little club is punching well above its weight in terms of producing Wallabies. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think, you know, it's – Probably going through a bit of a renaissance at the moment in that our numbers are the highest they've ever been. Um, we've got three teams in the under-12s. And last year we had three teams in the under-12s and the the success of us in the under-12s is reflected in the fact that the Randwick Warriors um, this year, they're under-13s. For the first time in many years, there are three under-13 teams in the Randwick Warriors, because a lot of Clovelly Eagles, along with you know Coogee South, Coogee Maroubra, have made that transition to um, to the to the well, still the junior club in Randwick Warriors, but made that transition from the village clubs up to Randwick, and hopefully we see them continuing to play all the way through. Jack, before I let you go, there are three very tough questions we ask all of our guests that come on to Coogee Voice. You must declare the best beach in the eastern suburbs where sells the best coffee, and where you can get the best burger, go. Oh, okay. Well, look, I technically live in Bondi, but my default beach, my sons do nippers at Bronte Nippers. The beach I probably feel the most relaxed at, and let's face it, going to the beach is probably should be about relaxing, would be Maroubra. There's a lovely little spot at North Maroubra. We call it Walrus Cove that has been um, washed away, all the sand's gone, but Maroubra would be my favourite beach, yes. Best coffee, yep, that's a fairly easy one. In fact, I've been there twice this morning before coming to do the podcast, The Critical Slide, uh, Bondi Road, corner of Bondi Road and Banara Avenue. Great coffee. Best burger. I'd really need to ask my 11-year-old son that. It'd be very close, and because I can't do phone a friend because he's at school, just by the look on his face while consuming said cuisine, it would either be the Clovelly Hotel Burger, they're a sponsor. Another very good burger is um, the Bistro on the Green at the South Coogee Bowling Club um, at Latham Park. So... Look, I, th- I think listeners should decide for themselves, but I think definitely pop into the Clove Valley Hotel, say we sent you, and I think also the South Coogee Bowling Club, the Bistro on the Green there. Maybe have one for lunch and one for dinner and take notes, have a scorecard, and just keep repeating until there's a definite winner. Jack, thanks for joining us on Coogee Voice. If people want to learn more about the Clovelly Eagles, where should they head to? Oh, they should head to Burroughs on a Wednesday afternoon between 3.45 and 7.15pm. They could head to the Clovelly Hotel if they can't get there. Uh, We'll be at the Clovelly Hotel every Wednesday from about 7 till about 9pm. Or if they're more internet inclined, they could go to clovellyeagles.com.au. But better to come down to Burroughs, pick up a retro jersey, go back to the Clovelly Hotel, um, have a burger. The schnitzel's good. The record for the schnitz, schnitzel, um, or was it the palmy set by one of my players, Duke, he polished it off in um, nine minutes and 45 seconds. So clovellyeagles.com.au or Burroughs or the Clovelly Hotel. They are our three homes. Jack, thanks for joining us on Coogee Voice. Thanks, Marjorie. What 
an interview. Now, if you'd like to get involved in the Clovelly Eagles, check them out on Instagram at Clovelly Eagles. You've been listening to Coogee Voice. Thank you.